Hi, welcome to the Art and Science of Learning, the podcast that digs deeper in how we learn, so that in today's accelerated world, we can learn better and enjoy it more. I'm your host, learning specialist, Dr. Kinga Petrovai. Every week, I discuss aspects of learning with academics, practitioners, and individuals with unique learning journeys to inform and inspire how you design learning into work and life. Learning is about being open to the possibility of changing our minds. Without the ability to constantly learn and change our minds, it is impossible to live in harmony with other people and the world around us. In this episode, I'm joined by someone who has made it her mission to connect with people from all walks of life and share the stories that make us human. Anne Mann is an author and the 14th Chancellor of the University of Manitoba in Canada. With a deep interest in people, their stories, and making meaningful connections, Anne is a committed lifelong volunteer and an oral history author. She has written two books which tell the stories of local marginalized communities. The Lucky Ones, African Refugee Stories of Extraordinary Courage, and Redemption, Stories of Hope, Resilience, and Life After Gangs. Anne's third book is going to be published in the fall of 2022, and it is tentatively titled Overcome, Stories of Strong Women Who Grew Up in the Child Welfare System. Having volunteered extensively for over 35 years, Anne has also co-founded and co-facilitates the Bookmates Book Club at the Winnipeg Women's Correctional Centre. Thank you very much, Anne, for joining me on the podcast. I'm so happy to be here with you today, Kinga. Thank you. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. We had a fantastic conversation on this topic before, and I'm just thrilled that you're here to discuss it further. So before we begin, you have said that you love learning about people and you have a desire to connect with people who have very different lived experiences from yourself. Reflecting on all the people you have connected with, and you certainly have with a lot, as we will discuss, what have you learned about people in general? Well, I'll start by saying that I love meeting different kinds of people. And I enjoy all different kinds of conversations in a wide spectrum and really value it. And, you know, ultimately, whether it's with people in conversation or it's people that I've been interviewing for my books, it's surprising to me how people really do like they don't have they have a lot in common. There's not that much that they don't have in common or there's much more that they have in common than they don't. And so I think people want to be respected. They want to feel good about the work they're doing and to work for meaningful pay. They want to raise their families or or be with their loved ones in peace and in places where they can have safety. People want to generally, I think, live a fairly meaningful life. Most people I think are, are really fairly kind. And so really, I think we have so much more in common than we don't. And living in this sort of divisive world right now, whether it's politically or religiously or racially, I just would like people to realize how much we have in common as a grounding and, a, and sort of a base for launching into getting to know each other. Absolutely. That's a really, really wonderful point that you're making, because it's so true. I mean, throughout history, we've always re- recognized and realized at certain points that there's more that unites us than divides us. And yet we often forget that. So it's a very, very good reminder how similar we all are. And I do spend, you know, I do spend time with people that lots of people don't spend time with. So Mm -hmm. 
for example, women in the Winnipeg women's prison or um, ex-gang members. And, and really, I found we have a lot in common. There's always lots to talk about. Wonderful. And, and you certainly have. I mean, looking at the books that you've written, not only have you volunteered extensively, but you wrote three very interesting books and you're also the Chancellor of the University of Manitoba. So you're in touch with a lot of different people in these roles. Can you tell me about the three books, what those books are about and the type of people that you met through them? Oh, thank you. I'd love to. So yes, um, three books, they're oral history books, which means they're true stories of collectives of people. The first book is African stories of African refugees that are living in Winnipeg having fled many different African countries to come to Winnipeg. The second is a book of ex-gang members. So that was mostly men and one woman who wanted to leave gangs and their personal life experiences of leaving them. And the third is a book that's coming out in the fall of 2022 and I'm just wrapping it up this month. And it's stories of women that grew up in the foster care system. And so these are each uh, disempowered communities or populations, if, if we could call them that, or people that are every day working to break biases because there have been biases made about them, generalizations, if you will. And boy, I've had so many amazing conversations. I've both learned a lot and been changed by those conversations. Uh, somebody I really respect, Father Greg Boyle, who runs Homeboy Industries in California, which is a, a large um, gang rehabilitation center, the largest in the world. He says we go to the margins, not to change the margins, but to change ourselves. And I have both believed that and, uh, and I've lived that because these conversations have changed me. And I'm really proud of the books. The way each book, when you read them, it's a collective. So there's maybe anywhere from 10 to 17 stories. It's not academic in nature at all. It's very personal. I've interviewed them and taken transcripts and written in the first person from those transcripts. So these are people's speaking about themselves, not me speaking about them. And I kind of liken it to if, if you could sit down with somebody in a lunchroom and ask them, what is it about your life? Tell me about your life these stories might be the answer to that question. Oh, fantastic. That must have been a really interesting process, going through that process of getting to know individuals and finding out about their lives. Yes. And I do find it's, it's an intimate experience mm -hmm. because people sometimes tell me things that they don't tell other people. Now, they have to decide then if they want it in a book because the book will be published. And sometimes we, people do retract things because they're so comfortable. They're tell me maybe even more than they're, they wish they'd told me, but that's okay. We always work it out. They approve all the stories before they ever go to print. But yeah, it's a, it's a great way to learn and it's helped me to grow. And um, it, it also gets these stories out into the community so that other people can learn about them. And I would like to add all three of those books are philanthropic endeavors. I don't keep any of the proceeds from the sales of the books. I donate them all back to the a place in the community that serves the community the book is about. Mm, wonderful. That's a really, really nice, really nice thing to do. Absolutely love that quote that you just mentioned before that we go to the edges not to change others, but to change ourselves. I haven't heard that quote before, but it's perfect has such deep meaning. And it actually really encompasses what we're talking about today, which is, which is changing our own minds. 
and considering other views, how those other views can be challenging for us. So we decided to focus on this topic uh, for the podcast because we both thought it was very important. Can you tell me a little bit about why you think that this is important? Well, I guess I'll speak about it from a personal perspective because the only person I truly know is, is myself. And sometimes I realize how little I know. And as I age, I realize even more how, how little I know. I love people and connecting and I'm really curious. And so I want to know more. And the only way to do that is through conversation. Well, not the only way, but I think I, I would say personally a way that is particularly successful at coming to understand someone else is through relationship and conversation. Although I do think we can learn a lot from reading about people's lives and, you know, memoirs and biographies and oral histories and so forth. And for me, like, what if I'm wrong? What if I'm wrong about someone? Mm -hmm. And frankly, there's a good chance I could be wrong because as I say, I, what do I know? And so I'm curious to delve into conversation with people and to think to myself, what's it really like not to be a woman that grew up in the foster care system? Not what is it like to read in the media about it and read headlines where frankly media is kind of in a bit of a hurry and they only have so much time and space in, in any one publication or, or website to give us information. So what's the story behind the personal story behind the headlines. That's what I want because I want to learn so that I can understand because from understanding, then I can alter my viewpoint. If my viewpoint is off by a little or a lot, and then I can, can grow and broaden my perspective and, and have more sort of a open mind about things. My world is expanded in that learning. I also think that, Right now in society, people are pretty quick to judge, which is kind of the, what good does judging do? It, it reduces people, reduces people to you are black, you are indigenous, you are gay or lesbian. And, but what, what is that really like? And so I think anything that's this reductive kind of conversation brings about judgmental thinking or closed-minded thinking. And I certainly know that that's not what I want. And so uh, I think that the more we understand each other, especially in these kind of polarized times, let's take religion, for instance, um, Muslim versus Christian, then the more we can accept each other and realize that really we have so much in common, as I've already spoken to. I, I do think it takes a lot of humility, though, because part of it is having the space to listen to another person and to just hear what they have to say. And then within that listening and exchange to be present to them and also to say to myself or any of us to say to ourselves, oh, oh, that's not what I expected. And then to create some space for openness to hear what it is really like for that person. Absolutely. So changing our minds and learning is humbling, but you know what? It's a good part of life. Definitely. Extremely important. And as you said, divisiveness is by really not understanding each other's different views, different experiences, different, why does someone think a certain way or believe a certain way? And there's nothing wrong. Maybe you come away with being stronger in your own original opinion, or you realize that, wait a minute, I should have actually thought about this other aspect, being able to have those conversations and understand other people's experience, lived experiences 
and how they came to the world and to embody the world in the way they do. It's very important to have those discussions. And as you said, not just go with the headlines because they are just that. They're headlines. They're not the full story of what someone thinks and experiences and how they feel. You gave an overview of the books, but can you highlight some of the individuals that jump out to you, the people that you have met in writing your books? You have talked to a lot of interesting people, just so that we can kind of imagine how different maybe the lived experiences of some of the people that you talk to and have changed your mind and have changed you through writing these books. Can you maybe talk about one or two of them? Sure. How about I'll give you a brief example from each book. Okay. So I think of my friend Muxi. Muxi's maybe about 33. He grew up in Somalia in Mogadishu. And at 14, he was captured and um, a slave, so to speak, on a chain for almost two years until a a fateful, miraculous night when he escaped, which is a whole other story. And he came to Canada, a, a handler brought him into Canada. He thought he was going to Europe to be with his uncle. And at 16, he landed in the bus depot in Winnipeg in a cold day in October, speaking no English, having no coat and having no money. And he built his life here. He values family. He has a wife and two children. He values education and went on to get a a university degree. But like his background of where he started, which was in a a war-torn zone and uh, frankly, very, very poor are all things that I have not known at all. And his optimism and his sense of humor is wonderful. And he has become, he has stayed a close friend and become really kind of like a brother. So that's Mohi. I think about Chris from the second book, who um, is an indigenous man that grew up with his grandmother raising him and had a really good first 10 years of his life, despite being born into a family where his mother and father were unable to care for him. But when he was 11, he left his reserve and for a variety of reasons, left his grandmother's care. She was unable to care for him. And he landed up in the city in Winnipeg, age 11. His mother said his mother had, um, she's since passed away, but she had a number of traumas in her life and addiction. And she really didn't have the capacity to care for him, but he had nowhere else to go. And she very quickly showed him how to steal, how to make money. She said like, there's not gonna be any money, any food in the fridge. And, and I remember she said to him, there aren't gonna be any more Christmases. So like, just Aww. get that out of your mind. That was like at your granny's house. This is now about fending for yourself, fending for yourself. And so, you know, you have to steal things and anything you you steal and give to me, I'll sell it and you can have half and I'll have half. And that's how he got jeans or school books or money to go to 7-Eleven and buy himself some dinner. And from there, he quickly got into gang life. It didn't take long. He had a gun by the time he was 12. And he didn't understand that what you shot at, if you shot at a wall of a house, the bullet could go through and hurt people. He was living in utter survival mode. So now today, he too is a father and has beaten an addiction and is working in construction. He wanted a better life for his children. He too had tremendous poverty in his life. 
and really very few people who he could count on. But there was an employer when he got out of jail who he he could count on. And from there, he built his life on that. And so um, he is an amazing guy. What an experience. Absolutely. And finally, I'll leave with you a woman that I just interviewed for my third book, Carly. Carly's in her early 20s and grew up in the foster care system. She also realized that her view of her gender was different than it it was presented to her physically. And so she transitioned and is, you know, has come through that, navigated that whole issue of being transgender while she was in care. Hmm. And so not only did she not have supports, but she also navigated something huge she she's a fascinating person really feisty and strong and I'm saying that with a smile on my face and she'd smile if she heard me say that because she knows that's who she is and she's uh, also an advocate for children that are in care today so that's just three examples and there's you know 10 17 people in each book so you just can imagine how much my world has been expanded and I have to say, I, I love people. I love meeting different people. It's so much more interesting. Besides being mind expanding, it's interesting to talk to different kinds of people. And so I've learned a lot. What do you, what are you reflecting on those individuals? Is there something that jumps out at you that you learned from their, that experience? I mean, I'm sure oh, you learned I, a lot throughout writing these books, but just maybe from these individuals you described. Yes, I think I'll use the word resilience. That's because I I happen to focus on stories of disempowered people who rise above certain difficulties that they have experienced. And there's a lot of hope in the books that I write and the stories that I, I hear from people. So I have seen so much human resilience and being left with a lot of hope. Now, some people don't like the word resilience. One woman calls it the R word and it makes her really angry. Really? And I think it's because she's just faced so much. Somehow resilience is other people's measure of what she's had to face in her life. And she's kind of touchy on that word, but I will use it because I think it is the most fitting word, resilience, inner strength. And really how much the human spirit wants better for themselves and tries. Now, not everyone is able to have the capacity to to find a better life for themselves because you need a lot of support to change your life Mm -hmm. or to make it through and to overcome as as the women in the third book have. But um, wow, I've, I've heard a lot of amazing stories of strength. Fantastic. That is really, really good. Something we all need to inspire our every day. So throughout your career, you have interviewed a lot of different people with different lived experiences. You also interviewed Michelle Obama, which must have been absolutely fascinating. So how how do you compare interviewing people with drastically different lived experiences? For example, Michelle Obama compared to some of the individuals in your books? Well, I mean, Michelle Obama was a pinnacle moment. It was in front of 8,000 people and it was a big leap for me. Usually it's my tape recorder and one individual. It's I'm, I'm very used to interviewing people, but not in front of so many people right. and not someone of the, I guess the fame I'll say of Michelle Obama. Having said that, I really, despite the, the conditions of, you know, wearing false eyelashes and bright lights and being in front of so many people, I really found interviewing Michelle Obama to be very similar to interviewing the book participants. 
in the sense that for 75 minutes, I sat on a stage with her and I really looked her in the eyes, not all the time, but a very large amount of time. And in looking her in the eyes, I saw the same kind of person that I see in my book participants. Now, I will say that I, I truly believe that Michelle Obama is what you see is what you get. Mm-hmm. And I think she's a kind person. She's a very skilled interviewee mm-hmm. um, because she's had so many years of experience. And so she was very easy and excellent to interview. But, you know, I found her to just be so real and really in the moment. And for me, who you know, this was for her book, Becoming. And so she'd had 12 years of either being the, the first lady or on the campaign trail. And she could have kind of probably checked out a little bit and kind of checked into some standard answers and some standard moments. And I did not see her do that whatsoever. So I do acknowledge that it just so happens that the celebrity I happen to interview is somebody who really seemed down to earth and very real and very authentic to me. So when I compare her to interviewing people in the books, I didn't find it particularly different. She she was funny. She was self-deprecating. She cared about her kids. She cared about the world. And it circles me right back to the fact that we probably all have more in common than we realize, even me and a first lady. Mm-hmm. I said to her, as I was saying goodbye, I said, someday, I just want to have you for lunch at my own house <laughs> where there's nobody around. And I want to have like a real conversation yes. in the sense that I, I felt really quite certain that we could have talked for hours about all kinds of personal things. It was a great experience. There must have been a fantastic experience. And as you said, I mean, when you when someone is open to you and you don't have to break, break through those barriers, regardless who they are, we do share a lot more in common that, that separates us. So that's, yes. that's fantastic. So with all the different people you have studied and connected with, what did you learn about changing minds? Changing your own mind and also... I suppose, changing other people's minds. Well, I, I don't know about other people's minds. I mean, I've, I've certainly had readers of my books, you know, make comments about how surprising things were, especially the, the book about ex-gang members. I think most people would see an ex-gang member and not believe they could change. But I do believe that book illustrates that people can change. And so people can change their minds, but I can really also, but I can really only speak to my own mind and how it's being changed. I would say that I, um, I now try, I mean, I still judge people because that I believe is a human, it's a cornerstone of our human nature is to try to draw a conclusion and draw it fairly quickly. But I try very hard not to, because I've just had so many things turned upside down. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you're sitting with an ex-gang member and he's talking about forgiveness and forgiving people that have done some really awful things. And then I say in conversation, oh, you know, sometimes I'm not so good at forgiving. And he says to me, well, if you ever want to have coffee about it one day and we could talk about forgiveness and I could listen and, and help mm-hmm. you. I mean, that that changes the way you see people and it yes. changes your mind. Even if, even when you have an open mind, it makes it even more open. So really stepping away from trying to jump to a conclusion. How do you catch yourself? How do you try and catch um, yourself? Because I think we all do that and we jump to conclusions, I think often without even realizing we're like, well, of course, that's this is true uh, or this is the way it is. How do you try to pull back? I do think you're right, Kinga. And 
I used to play years ago when I used to ride the bus more, I used to play a game with myself and people would come on the bus. I happen to be a very visual person and I'm quite an observant person. Mm -hmm. And so I would notice things, what somebody's shoes looked like, what kind of watch they're wearing, was their nail polish chipped? What kind of makeup were they wearing or not wearing? And I used to play a game with myself about concluding because we did, and, and I would let myself observe. And then I would try to come up with a reason why it could be a scenario for that person on the bus, why they could be completely different Interesting. than, than they appear to me to be. And I would never know the answer because I'd never talk to them. This, these are not book participants or anything. This is just a game I would play with myself. And sometimes I still do it today. And on a good day, I'd say I'm pretty good at not judging people, but, um, or coming to particularly quick conclusions. But then of course, the minute I say that, then I do do it with somebody who, you know, I don't know, I'm talking to or whatever. And so sometimes I will ask myself, well, how could it, what's the, what's the possibility of how it could be different than it is? Because we don't really know about people until we talk to them. That's great. I love that game. Yeah. That's why I think relationship is sort of one of the backbones for changing your mind and for social justice and for learning about people that we don't know much about. So what do you mean by that? Let's unpack that a little bit about relationship. I mean, of course, it's important to have a relationships, but let's dig into that a little bit. What you mean? Sure. I mean, so let's say somebody's going to let's we'll just say somebody decides they're going to read my book because they don't know anything about what it's like to be in the foster care system. Mm -hmm. So they're going to read and they're going to learn quite a bit. And that's, you know, it's their choice how they take that in. But I think when you have a relationship with someone, a friendship where you shared a coffee together and some kind of intimacy, it's really hard, much harder to forget that. Mm -hmm. And so once you've had that knowing, you can't unknow it again. For instance, there's a very high percentage of kids that have been in foster care who age out of foster care and end up homeless. There's a very, very strong correlation. And so now if I see a homeless young person at a street corner looking for money or whatever, I can't ever unknow again that information that I know through other people's lived experience where I've sat with them and they've told me about what it's like to huddle under a bridge or to sleep on a, a casted castaway couch that they put in a park for a night. Cause I've talked to people who have lived that life. And so, so that affects me. It, it changes me. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, underlying a lot of this is empathy how do we feel for people whose lives are much different than our own? But yes. empathy is, is dangerous. And I'm going to use dangerous kind of with air quotes, because once that empathy has been opened up, you can't take it back. And it does change the way you live your life. Mm -hmm. To be a more empathetic person is a good thing, but it's not necessarily easier. It's easier to have your head in the sand. I don't want to live like that, but I will say it's, it's easier because now you start to see everything differently. Yes, absolutely. And so in terms of empathy, I mean, I think that word gets thrown around a lot. Yeah. And, and people feel that, well, if they see something on the news or read about it in the newspaper, or maybe just see on in passing and say, oh, I'm really, I'm pained by this individual's experience, or that must be really hard. They have empathy and then they move on. 
and it's over. And, you know, you feel a little bit good about yourself that you had some empathy towards someone, but quite frankly, you probably forget it the next day. What should we know about empathy? What does empathy really mean? Gosh, it's a, it's a very good question. I'd love to hear how other people would answer that because I'd like to, I'd like to hear, but you've asked me, so I'll do my best. I'm going to illustrate it. What precipitated me writing my first book? It's a long story, but I was, I'd gotten to know one refugee and then one light night I was up late watching a CBC national news documentary where there was a vignette in the last 10 minutes about this girl who had, she lived somewhere in Africa. She was a child soldier and she was returned to her village and shunned in her village. And then her little tiny tent thing she was living in burnt down. And I cried. I will tell you, I cried watching that. And then I went to bed and I fell asleep and I woke up in the morning and I was aghast with myself that I had a good Canadian sleep, like a good eight hour sleep. I was crying at 11 o'clock at night. And then I woke up in the next morning and I was shocked with myself. And in that moment, it's a longer story, but that moment was a precipitous moment in me deciding to write about other people that I didn't know much about. How could I have slept so well? Hmm. And so that was one kind of empathy. I did have empathy for her while watching that newscast, but it seemed like it was a not a lasting empathy. Right. And so after writing my book, the book, The Lucky Ones about African refugee stories, I do have more lasting empathy. And I would say that I would say that video and books are really an important first step, but I would really encourage people to learn through personal relationship because that's more lasting and it's more permanent. And that's the kind of knowing if you have a friend like my friend Muhi, it's not ever the same. You don't go backwards with that kind of a friendship. I do really like what you you said, because of course we can't all walk away from feeling something towards someone and then deciding, okay, we're going to write a book or we're going to do something really big about it. Uh, we can't necessarily make do something big about every, every situation we come across. I mean, it's wonderful that you did. And that's an amazing spark that sparked these, these fantastic books. But I think you touch on something very important is to reflect on, yes, I felt for this person, but to reflect on that a little bit, I think that's what you're saying to reflect on it and to think about maybe more about their life experience or, or what are the circumstances that bring someone to this or what are their, how are their views changed? Mm. I think that's what I'm hearing from you. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. To kind of stop ourselves and, and reflect on it more. Yes. Yes. And I would say I sort of see empathy like a balance beam. Okay. If you fall off of one side, like you, you fell into the ditch and you didn't have any empathy and you, you know, drove past the homeless kid on the corner that's, panhandling and you did you weren't even affected like to me that's one thing but um empathy does have another side where people are so affected that like because it's really suffering you're in the presence of suffering mm -hmm. the other side of that balance beam of empathy would be where their suffering affects you so much that you become debilitated in some way or you can't you feel hopeless you feel, you hopeless, feel hopeless to do anything or you can't eat dinner with your own family in peace and happiness 
because I mean, we're meant to do that. We're meant to sit and have dinner with our family or our mm -hmm. friends or our loved ones, regardless of someone else's hardship, but we're also meant to witness the hardship, I believe. And so there's kind of this fine line of walking this balance beam and you don't want to be too far into each of the side because we do have to continue to function, but we do want to just not cast away people, yes. you know, either. That's a really good point to find ourselves in the middle where we don't just pass by saying, oh, that's too bad. But at the same time, we're also not debilitated, yes. somehow contributing towards bettering a situation. So I'm hearing three things in terms of really being conscious and ways of changing your own mind is to stop jumping to conclusions having relationships, and then also having empathy and being aware of the empathy. So these are the ways that you see important to being able to change your mind and learn and grow. Is that correct? Yes. I would also add that I think people have a lot of fear. They fear what they don't know. Yes. Or another thing I hear a lot of people say is they fear saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. And I'd really like to encourage people to try to let go of their fear. My Indigenous friends and the Indigenous community elders and knowledge keepers have taught me that it's not a question of if I'll say the wrong thing, it's a question of when. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, let, like, let me get that straight in my own mind. Yes. And what will my response be? And the Indigenous community has been very clear in saying the people that I've talked to, we ask for humility. Mm -hmm. And so Fear can be debilitating and, and make us freeze, but I'm trying to move forward and say, okay, well, so if I say the wrong thing to my transgender friend that I've just met, or if I say the wrong thing to an Indigenous elder that I've just met, I'll just say, I'm sorry, I'm working to correct that. And then you try to correct it. You can't just be, you know, mm -hmm. brush it off. You have to try to take in that, that new bit of learning and understanding or correct the error. And there is a great degree of humility. And there's also a great degree of vulnerability mm -hmm. because we're letting, I mean, in an intimate exchange, we're letting the, the walls down on ourselves. And so is the person we're hopefully in exchange with. But I believe that the rewards for letting that fear and that vulnerability go far outweigh any discomfort. Mm, absolutely. And of course, fear completely jeopardizes the ability to communicate with each other and cuts off those lines of communication if we're, if no one's really saying anything. So it's yeah. important to approach it with a lot of, as with anything in life, with humility and understanding that you're never complete. You're always growing and learning. Always, always. It's important to remember, definitely. So in terms of connecting with people with very different lived experiences, occasionally you must really, and I guess you touched on this just now, you must step into a zone that is very uncomfortable. So you have to get out of your comfort zone and be okay with the discomfort. So can you tell me what this experience is like of stepping out of your comfort zone? Well, I actually, now that, I, now that I've had some of them, I really like it. Mm -hmm. And so I love that personal challenge. I don't think you grow if you don't step out of your comfort zone. Absolutely. And the growth that I have enjoyed in these exchanges and the writing and doing something new and being with different people and also being with people, you know, I've been out of my comfort zone at the University of Manitoba as a chancellor. Like, what is a chancellor anyway? So when I think about all of that, I think, oh, now I'm kind of hooked on growth experiences because... <laughs> 
they're so rewarding and so meaningful. And so I really like them now. I look, I look for them. But is it something that you grew into? Because it sounds like at the beginning, you know, it's very scary to take on a big new job or to talk to people in an environment where you've never been. So at the beginning, is there something you wish for people who haven't done so much of stepping out of their comfort zone? What do you wish people would know about that beginning process of taking the jump? Well, to be gentle on themselves, firstly. I remember years ago being at the local public library and seeing a poster on the wall. And it was a little toddler playing with blocks and kind of had maybe three blocks making a little sort of building or a tower. And I'm not very good at quoting things, but but that poster said something like, even the people that are the very best at doing whatever they're doing in the world once were just like this child and they were starting out for the first time. Yes. And I thought, wow, that was for sure me writing a book. I didn't have a writing background before I wrote the first book. To go slowly, to be generous to themselves and to others. Do you really want fear to define you? I don't want fear to define me. But I am a person who researches a lot. So, you know, I ask a lot of questions so that I learn the best way to do something, the best, right. you know, I do a lot of reading. And so in that, that does, I think, sort of mitigate the fear a bit. But I really do encourage people to just give it a try. Mm-hmm. Give, it, give it a try talking to somebody you don't know or, well, we might also say get off your phones because, you know, we're all on our phones. I'm included yes. all the time. And just open your eyes and and who's waiting for the bus or who's at the lunch table, pandemic aside, and um, just try living a little less comfortably because Mm -hmm. I think the long-term benefits will entice you out of the comfort zone. Mm, Absolutely. Very, very true. And that really touched the next thing I wanted to ask you, which is to help people connect with others and have more understanding, even if they don't agree with the other person, which is stepping out of your comfort zone. If you're talking, I mean, there's a lot of ways of stepping out of your comfort zone, taking a big job, traveling to a place you've never been, and also talking to someone who has a completely different worldview or opinion. But what do you wish people did differently in these types of situations? I think it's, it's good to listen more and talk less, mm-hmm. especially if there's something that you really don't know much about, you know, just listen more and try to listen with as much presence as possible. It's, it's hard in these conversations not to just jump in and say, oh, this is how I see it. This is what I believe. It's hard to kind of stop yourself and say, well, let me just listen to everything they're saying, regardless yeah. if it's right or wrong or against my beliefs. Yeah. And, you know, you come away and I mean, you don't always have mind expanding experiences. No, We've all absolutely. talked to somebody and thought, oh, they're just going like, they're just going on and on about this and not every conversation will be meaningful no but of course just just to keep trying and in gentle small ways and when you do find an experience that's new whether it's volunteering or reading or talking to someone grow it a little bit just a little bit and just give it a try what do you mean grow it a little bit you know, the next time you're in conversation, talk to someone else the same way you talk to that person or talk to that person again and ask a few more questions. Be open. Let it unfold as opposed to needing to know the resolution of it or wanting the, you know, again, the comfort zone of certainty. Let it be uncertain for a while. 
Yes, that's very, very good. And if swimming in uncertainty is a very difficult thing, I think, for people to do when solving a problem, when just living life in, in a lot of different ways. But actually, exactly what you just said, being in that uncertainty is actually a good thing for a while, not having to nail it down to a conclusion. Yeah, for yeah. a bit. For, for a bit. Exactly. Give it a try. <laughs> exactly. So how would you suggest that people practice becoming more open and connecting to others and, and having these kind of experiences? I'm, I'm always in favor of videos, documentaries, movies, things on TV and reading personal stories, both of those. I guess I'm probably, I mean, looking at nonfiction. So that would be documentaries and nonfiction writing. I think we've all had extra time during the pandemic and we have, we can use that time however we see fit. We've also been with less people that we don't know because we've been living more you know, lives where we're just not out in society as much. But as society opens up, I'd like to think this spring and we get a little bit more normalcy ahead of us beyond the, the, the reading and the documentaries to be curious, to ask people questions, obviously in a sort of a gentle way. And maybe to ask ourselves, well, what would you do if you were in that situation? So if you're reading about a I don't know, I'll go back to the homeless, the homeless youth. What would you do if you were homeless? Where would you go? How would you figure it out? Who would support you? And then just try to gain that empathy a little bit through through asking yourself that question. That's a good exercise. It's a it's another good thought exercise that you're suggesting to really try to put yourself in a situation and think in that, what would I be doing? How yes. would I act differently, maybe? Yes, as you said, as things open up, I mean, talking to people is such a wonderful experience. So often we sit on with someone on the bus and everyone kind of stares at their phone. But it's fascinating to just have some kind of a conversation that sometimes ends up being extremely meaningful. I've had on long journeys on a bus or a plane, sometimes very surprisingly uh, meaningful conversations with people that become very personal and interesting and insightful so yes. having more of those conversations between strangers is quite a fascinating thing to me. And sometimes strangers open up to each other more than people that are close to each other. So I'd say yes. just gently nudge yourself in a direction, whether you're in the grocery line or, you know, on a train or a plane or a, a bus and see what happens. What do you ask someone in that kind of situation? Because I think a lot of people are very afraid to be rude or think that maybe this is intrusive or simply don't know what to ask. What do you do to spark conversations with strangers? Well, I think how's your day going is often a good start because it's just a small thing. How's your day so far? See what they say. Or sometimes making a joke is a great way to, I'm not the funniest person, but I, I love when people can kind of crack something and just kind of open a little window into a conversation through something funny, a, a funny comment about something they see. Yes. And you know, not, not always do people respond, but that's okay. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's different every time. So that's the main thing. I often also will, oh, I'll also just say, I sometimes say to people, do you like to read? What do you like to read? That can be a good, a good conversation mm -hmm. starter too. Good. Well, I'm sure you have fascinating conversations on a day-to-day -day basis with, with strangers and of course the people in, in your work and in your, in your books, which is really interesting. So before we end, I mean, you, you already gave lots of 
great insights and suggestions, but I always like to ask about recommendations to read or watch. And I, of course, would recommend your books to really have a fantastic perspective of how others live their lives. Do you have any recommendations you'd like to share? Hmm, that's a good question because I always ask people that. And so now <laughs> you're asking me to think for what my answers would be. Well, a couple of things come to mind. The first is I love the work of the American documentary TV CNN person, Lisa Ling. She's fantastic. And she has This Is Life. They're documentaries. You can see them all. They're all on CNN. And she always goes to uncomfortable places and talks to people. And she's very kind and gentle in her work and asks very fearless questions. So I love her. Uh, the second for those who like to read is anything published by the Voice of Witness publisher in the United States. They're an oral history publisher that have looked at anything from refugees, illegal immigrants, um, clear through to people who have spent a lot of time in solitary confinement. And they're a social justice publisher. So that's Voice of Witness. They're out of San Francisco. And you can get their books anywhere. You know, you don't have to get them just from them. Another thing that I'll, I'll leave with you if people are looking for something really entertaining is a guy named Brian Stevenson. He's the founder of the Equal Justice Initiative in the United States. He's a lawyer and he published the book Just Mercy. And the movie was made from that book starring Michael B. Jordan. And it's, you know what? It's a very, very good book and it's an excellent movie. So that's if you're just looking for something on Friday night, check out Just Mercy. Fantastic. Well, thank you. Well, and thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing wonderful insights and stories from your work and also ways that we can open our minds, continuously learn and potentially change our minds, but certainly grow in the process. Thank you very much, Anne, for speaking with me. Well, thank you, Kinga. I really enjoyed it.